When Napoleon Bonaparte is your big brother, is it wise to get married without his permission? That's what we're talking about today on Footnoting History. Hey everyone, Christine here. I'm ready to talk to you about my favorite continued topic, the Bonaparte family. This time, we're talking about Bonaparte in America, when one young member of the family went to the United States and had a little bit too much fun. Fun, it must be pointed out, that was not approved by the most powerful member of the family, Napoleon. The year is 1803. In France, Napoleon Bonaparte is nearing the peak of his power and is basically ruling the country, though he's not yet made the leap to become emperor. Westward, across the Atlantic Ocean, the United States is a newly minted country. Both France and the U.S. have recently experienced revolutions. It's been less than 30 years both since France had Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette on the throne, and the United States was a collection of British colonies. As France is on the verge of becoming an empire, the United States is still trying to figure out what exactly it wants to be. Is it going to copy the ideals of the European courts? Or is it going to purposely distance itself? At this point, both paths are still options, but things are leaning towards staying away from court culture. Now, let's meet this young, traveling Bonaparte. Jerome was Napoleon's youngest brother. He possessed none of Napoleon's ambition, and he really, really liked to have fun. His penchant for living the high life so obviously was the opposite of Napoleon that their personalities clashed, and Napoleon regularly tried to improve his brother. At the beginning of our story, Jerome was a member of the French Navy working in the Caribbean. Serving down there, though, didn't really go all that well, and he decided that the best route home to France was to go to the United States first. I say that in a questionable way because geographically speaking, you too might be saying, that's a different way to go. But anyway, his unannounced arrival sent the French officials in the United States into a tizzy. So while they tried to figure out what to do with the brother of their country's leader, he had a grand old time on what was basically a giant holiday. While he was in the U.S., Jerome went to Baltimore, Maryland. This was likely a suggestion of friends that he had made while in the Caribbean, and while he was there, he met a very special young lady. Elizabeth Patterson was one of those women that people liked to talk about. She was often referred to as the Belle of Baltimore. She was renowned for her creamy complexion, lovely brown hair, pretty eyes, and of course, a sharp wit and intelligence. The daughter of a self-made man with a keen eye for business, she grew up in a family who was well-connected and well-established. But she was also bored. Elizabeth thought that Baltimore was dreadfully bland, and she wanted nothing to do with talk of republicanism. She longed for the glamour of Europe, and believed that she certainly was not born to live in the U.S. In particular, she had a fantastically positive outlook towards France. She spoke French, was known to have French friends, and of course, upon meeting Jerome Bonaparte, she fell head over it for a handsome man from France's premier family. How they met is a matter of conjecture. Some people said it was at a gala, while other sources say it was in a friend's home. 
But with them both being part of high society, and Jerome's Bonaparte name preceding him, it was not a surprise that the pair should eventually meet. Jerome was smitten with her, but, you know, Elizabeth was not about to let him have his way with her and then move on, as men like him were wont to do. Flings were not acceptable to a woman who wanted to remain respectable, and it was quickly made clear that to take their relationship to the next level, it would require a wedding. So, Jerome and Elizabeth decided to marry. But Elizabeth's father wanted no part of his family tied to a Bonaparte. When Jerome asked for her hand, Mr. Patterson flat out refused him. On Elizabeth's mother's side, however, there were some who supported the match, probably because they had stars in their eyes. But French diplomats definitely agreed with Mr. Patterson that the marriage was, capital letters, not a good idea. This wasn't just a case of families disapproving for the sake of being difficult. The diplomats thought it would severely anger Napoleon, while Mr. Patterson didn't trust Jerome. Even the U.S. government had a side-eye toward the match because they were afraid that a Bonaparte alliance with an American family would hurt their relationship with England, who, as we all know, was not France's biggest fan. None of this made any difference to Jerome and Elizabeth, let's be honest. They decided that they were going to plan their wedding with or without consent. Eventually, Elizabeth's father gave in, but being the smart businessman that he was, he had what was basically a prenup drawn up that said that Jerome had to do everything in his power to defend his marriage and have it recognized in both France and the United States. It also included several clauses to ensure Elizabeth's financial future. With all of the messy legal business out of the way, our determined couple married on December 24th, 1803. The most amusing part about their wedding to me is that even this involved a precautionary measure. So even though the Pattersons were Protestant and they were marrying in Baltimore, which is Elizabeth's hometown, the ceremony was performed by a Catholic archbishop. The ceremony was purposely done this way because they wanted it to be done in the Bonaparte family religion so that the marriage might appear even more legitimate to Napoleon. Because, I mean, right, if God approves of your wedding, then surely the leader of France has to as well, you would think. But no, that's wrong. That's very, very wrong. Because after the wedding, the couple did enjoy a honeymoon period, during which they became celebrities in Baltimore and Washington, as well as regular features in the newspaper, and they attended dinners given by people like President Thomas Jefferson. Elizabeth in particular turned heads because the new Mrs. Bonaparte dressed as often as possible in revealing French fashions that left little to the imagination. Eventually, of course, the news did reach both French newspapers and Napoleon, and his reaction was not to offer the couple congratulations. No, Napoleon launched an all-out assault against the Union because he was angry that his brother did something that would take him out of the running for a political marriage later on. It could also be pointed out, and was, that the marriage was technically flawed. No matter how many precautions Mr. Patterson had taken, he was unaware that by French law, Jerome was underage for marrying without parental consent, which, as we know, there was no parental consent involved. So it was, to Napoleon, yet another showing of his brother being completely useless. Napoleon's rage was so well known by his family that Lucien, another brother who had a marriage Napoleon didn't like, even suggested that maybe Jerome should consider staying in the U.S. 
and possibly even becoming an American citizen. Yeah, no, Jerome wasn't going to do that. And Napoleon, of course, made it well known that he disapproved, telling Jerome that in his eyes the marriage didn't exist. He refused to call Elizabeth Mrs. Bonaparte or Madame Bonaparte and instead would call her Miss Patterson. He demanded that Jerome return to France, but banned French ships from allowing Elizabeth on board. He also said that officials in France were not allowed to treat the marriage as legally binding. Despite these warm and loving gestures, Jerome and Elizabeth still hoped that Napoleon would cool off and ultimately recognize their marriage. There is nothing that indicates that the couple was anything but happy during this time. Still, with French ships out of the question, it took months to arrange passage for both of them to go to Europe. And by the time this happened, Elizabeth was pregnant. Gasp! Napoleon had been crowned Emperor of France. Double gasp! And... When Napoleon made his brothers and sisters princes and princes, you can bet that Jerome was not on the list. If you don't think that this panicked Jerome, you're crazy. He and Elizabeth and their baby bump finally made it to Europe by spring of 1805 on a ship chartered by Elizabeth's father. But Elizabeth was not welcomed anywhere. The couple had no choice but to split up in Lisbon. Jerome had been summoned to see Napoleon, but, of course, Elizabeth was not allowed to accompany him. So, promising to plead their case to his brother, Jerome set off without her. While Jerome was off to see Napoleon, Elizabeth was left to wait and, well, you know, give birth to their son, no big deal. She couldn't, well, you know, go back to Baltimore, especially since she was hoping Jerome would call for her, and Napoleon made it clear that she wasn't welcome anywhere that he had power, so where was a girl to go? Yep, you guessed it, she went to England. And it turned out, England was more than happy to have her, because after all, it made them look like the kind, caring country that took in a poor woman being mistreated by that imperial French tyrant. Elizabeth was received as a curiosity by the English, and it was there that she gave birth to the aforementioned son, who she perhaps defiantly, perhaps appropriately, named Jerome Napoleon Bonaparte. He grew up being called Beau, but, you know, his name was still Jerome Napoleon, and to make things clearer, we'll stick with Beau from here on. I'd really like to tell you that Jerome met up with Napoleon, they had a heart-to-heart, and Elizabeth and little Beau were welcomed, but that is not even close to what happened. Jerome and Napoleon's reunion is another one of those conversations that I wish I had witnessed, because we'll never really know what was said between them. But we do know this. Napoleon threatened to cut him off, and Jerome capitulated. Elizabeth and Jerome would never live together again. He wrote to her, declaring his love, but, you know, letters took a long time to reach places. And Elizabeth, who was feeling abandoned while she was living in England with an infant son, returned to Baltimore. So while Jerome was writing letters to Elizabeth, but not actually going to see her, he was reinstated in the French Navy. If that didn't put a nail in the coffin of their marriage, what happened next did. Napoleon tried to get the Pope to annul the union. All right, but the Pope said no. When the Pope said no, the Emperor forced the French ecclesiastical courts into declaring it void, once again making Jerome a single man. Soon after this, he was made King of Westphalia, a Germanic country created by Napoleon. He was then married to a noble-blooded woman named Catherine. 
American newspapers would regularly refer to Jerome as having two wives for the rest of his life. He never did become the stand-up person that Napoleon wanted him to be. He was an ineffectual leader who regularly cheated on Catherine, and when the Bonaparte's fortunes faded, he was not willing to give up living lavishly. But what of Elizabeth? It was all well and good for Napoleon to break them up in France, but in the United States the couple was still legally married. It wasn't until Jerome had already been remarried for several years that Elizabeth got a divorce from the state of Maryland, therefore removing all of Jerome's rights to any of her money and establishing herself as a free and independent woman. It might surprise you to know that publicly Elizabeth never really railed against Napoleon. In fact, she found him more reliable to deal with than Jerome. She even received a pension from Napoleon's government that was paid regularly to her until the empire toppled. This pension, some historians have argued, was one of the reasons that Congress tried to pass an amendment declaring that if you received titles, offices, or pensions from foreign powers, you had to forfeit your American citizenship. Elizabeth was a survivor, and she possessed all of the ambition that her husband lacked. She had many suitors, but she chose to never remarry or have very public affairs if she had any at all. As much as Napoleon's abdication eventually meant less money, it also meant more freedom, because the ban on her traveling to Europe was lifted. And, of course, that meant that she did go there, spending large amounts of time surrounded by her dream culture, and, funnily enough, at one point, dining with the Duke of Wellington. That's right, the man who defeated Napoleon in 1815 at the Battle of Waterloo. Her goal became to give her son what she had not achieved for herself. She had him educated in Geneva, preparing him for what she hoped would one day be his place in the upper levels of European society, regardless of the fact that being a Bonaparte was now a dirty word. Eventually, Beau would meet his paternal family. The Bonapartes were residing in Rome because it was now illegal for them to live in France, and they had invited Elizabeth to visit ever since they heard that she and Beau were now in Europe, and eventually she did bring her son to meet them. Beau was able to get to know his grandmother and his great-uncle, as well as his aunt Pauline, who was Jerome's sister. Gifts were given and assurances of affection were made, as the family swore that no one had ever hated them and it had all been an incident of politics. There was even talk at one point that Beau might marry one of his Bonaparte cousins, but that never came to fruition. Importantly, though, I know that there are two things that if I was listening, I would want to know. First, did Elizabeth and Jerome ever see each other again after they parted in Lisbon? Elizabeth would never leave behind a definitive account but there was a story that circulated that said that while she was in Italy, she accidentally saw Jerome when they were both at the same gallery. Jerome was with other people. They did not speak to each other. But it would be the only time that they were even rumored to be in the same place after he left her to go peg Napoleon to accept their marriage, which we know did not go well. They would have contact through letter, but Personal interaction never happened, and I've often wondered if that was good for Elizabeth or bad for Elizabeth, because how much closure could she have really had? Anyway, second, did Bo ever meet his father? Yes, he did. They had been in contact by letter, and he was invited to meet Jerome following his growing acquaintance with the rest of the family. When he did, 
He also met his stepmother and his half-siblings. Everybody treated him warmly, and he was accepted, but the lavish and unaffordable lifestyle that Jerome kept proved to Bo that he would never do as well there. The money would be gone, there was no place for him, and he much preferred the United States, where he could get ahead by his own doing instead of hoping for family ties to get through for him. Bo returned to Maryland, and he did get ahead. He got ahead by marrying an heiress named Susan May Williams without telling his mom. When Elizabeth found out, she was devastated that he gave up the dream that she had for him, and their relationship would never be the same. Just because Bo went back to the United States and married an American and wanted to be an American doesn't mean that he turned his back on his Bonaparte relatives or his family lineage. He went back to Europe in the 1850s when his cousin became Emperor Napoleon III. They hung out, and Napoleon III granted Bo French citizenship and declared that Elizabeth and Jerome's marriage had been legal, therefore hoping to remove any question of whether or not Bo was a bastard. Of course, because the Bonapartes are always full of drama, protests from Jerome's other family meant that the American Bonapartes were later declared unable to be part of the imperial secession, even though they were still allowed to call themselves Bonapartes. So you get to carry the name, but you don't get to inherit the imperial seat. Hey, you know what? Napoleon III tried, and he did the best he could, to make amends for the things that happened in his family in the past. Bo and Elizabeth would find themselves in one more legal battle against the Bonapartes when Jerome died in 1860. They went to France, armed with a legal team, and they fought to have Bo recognized as an heir, even though Jerome somehow managed to forget to include him in the will. Now, I know, how could that have happened when Jerome was such a great, devoted, wonderful man? It doesn't matter, because ultimately their case failed, and this was also unfortunately going to be Elizabeth's last time in Europe. Elizabeth Patterson Bonaparte would go on to live another almost 20 years. As an old woman, she was bitter that the promises of 1803 led to nothing but hurt and rejection. She chose to live in a tiny room, all the while collecting rents and amassing quite a big fortune from her investments. She considered her life a horrific disappointment, and would go back through her old letters and write comments in the margins, particularly talking about how useless Jerome's promises had been. My personal favorite anecdote, even though it actually is not funny at all when you think of how upset she must have been, is that she wrote a piece called Dialogues of the Dead, in which her father and Jerome were stuck in hell together to have lengthy, argumentative conversations. Her two favorite people arguing together, the man who was against her marriage and the man who abandoned her marriage. She died, much to her dismay, in Baltimore at the age of 94 in April of 1879. Her life had been so fraught with drama and unhappiness that it was inscribed on her tomb that, after life's fitful fever, she sleeps well. She had outlived Napoleon I, Napoleon III, her husband Jerome, and sadly also her own son, Beau. When Napoleon rejected Elizabeth's desire to join the imperial family, her life took on a trajectory that she didn't enjoy. That's not to say that the American Bonapartes did badly. Her grandson Charles grew up to serve in the cabinet of President Theodore Roosevelt and also as his attorney general. Though I suppose we could argue that that would have had Elizabeth rolling in her grave because the last place she wanted her family to peak was in the boring United States. 
This has been Footnoting History. If you like the podcast, be sure to visit our website, footnotinghistory.com, where you can find links to further reading suggestions related to this week's episode, as well as a calendar of upcoming podcasts. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at History Footnote. Until next time, remember, the best stories are always in the footnotes. See you next week.